Presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. Today, we have two people, unnamed, sitting in a room two doors down from where I am speaking into a microphone right now, just in case I get a cold, something comes up, I, I can't continue. They are ready, gargling vinegar water and just making sure that this program will go on. An emergency broadcaster standing by. Darren Millard with the founders of InGoal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Today we are going to chat about the trade deadline, everything that went into the moving around of pieces. Of course, David Ayers and the Carolina Hurricane performance against the Toronto Maple Leafs, plus Henrik Lundqvist and his future with the New York Rangers. Our feature interview, Bob Asenza, a guy that got to know a little bit in Winnipeg back in the day, one of the beauty setups. And uh, yes, we will talk about it with Bob Asenza. And our gear segment will focus on something that is very particular to this time of the year and trade deadlines. That is pad wrap. You change teams, you put on a new uniform, you got a match. That's where pad wrap comes in. Equipment managers right hand, uh, go-to stuff. That's my uh, terminology for it. As, uh, we welcome in the guys. Uh, stuff. I love stuff. And pad wrap certainly may. You know, Woody, you, uh, you seem like the kind of guy that would use pad wrap if you uh, like change teams from Wednesday night to Friday, that, that you would, you would uh, put the pad wrap on your gear just to make sure you match. Well, I'd actually probably go with the pad skins because that's what our friends at the hockey shop sell, not the pad wrap, two different brands, but they do the same thing. Um, truth be told though, Darren, let's be honest. I have a, I have a set, I have a set for every occasion in the garage. I don't need pad well, skins. Well, that's true. But, that but, true. but I think I've seen Woody play in one of these skates where after, what is it? Three goals or five goals, the two goaltenders swap ends. And, and I think maybe it's a bit like a stick. You might stop by the bench just to slap a little pad skin on there so he matches the team at the other end have you guys used pad skins when i go from I have, the, when i, I go from playing darks to playing lights yeah, I, I i could see you doing that uh it's 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 so much easier to uh to utilize the the pad skins than than i ever thought it would be yeah no we've used it um because when you're when you're younger, minor hockey season ends, and quite often spring hockey season starts. And when you're young, you really want to look like uh, Kevin Woodley out there. So it's important for everything to match. So uh, we've had sets of it made up before, and even had. Uh, and I'm going to get the company wrong here, so I hope it's Padskins. Well, I already did, so I you're know. okay. But 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 we used one of the companies that actually printed up the team logo on the same material for us as well. So we did the sort of. At the time, the Eddie Lack thing with the logo split between the two pads. Oh, neat! Yeah, super, super easy, and uh, and the rest of it was all all pretty easy as well. The only the only place I've had a little trouble, and and I've seen lots of guys do it successfully since. So I don't know if um it was an application issue or whether they've modified the product. But I found the the speed skin it didn't stick to quite as well on the CCM gear. Um, but I think that's just a question of making sure you use a little heat when you apply it. But but we'll get no need to get into that too too deeply before. Woody spends his time down at the shop. Pad skins, it's it's awesome. Works gloves, uh, pads. It's 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 amazing, and uh, and it's uh, it's changed how uh, how you uh, go out in the ice and how you uh, how you play because everybody wants to uh, to make it uh, match. And if you ever wondered how those goaltenders who change team teams day to day have matching gear like Jack Campbell did, 
uh, going to Toronto? It was because uh, of Padskins and uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and Bobby Hastings and that uh, equipment uh, team. So we have a couple of uh, things that we really want to get to. And uh, the e-bug story uh, from this past weekend has dominated not just um, uh, the goalie world, but the hockey world and the entertainment world, uh, the sports talk radio world. Uh, David Ayers stepping in after Mrazek and Reimer went down. There's a bit of controversy about it, uh, mainly because of uh, grumpy uh, people uh, like uh, Brian Burke. But uh, uh, the the idea that David Ayers uh, goes in was was uh, inspiring and and a real roller coaster ride. Uh, Hutch, uh, start with you. Uh, your overall assessment of of what happened. Uh, whose phone didn't blow up on Saturday night when, when he came in, if you weren't watching the game, or even if you were, I think goaltenders all around the world were text messaging each other with excitement. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, the thing that strikes me every time the emergency backup either gets not, not even gets in a game, but is on the bench and the cameras pan over and the broadcasters say, Oh, can't you just see the terror in his face? He must be just praying that he doesn't end up in the game or. You know what? I, I'm sorry. Am I different? But I, I'd be sitting there just hoping I'd get a chance to get in the game. And I don't think I'd be nervous at all, because if you give up anything less than about 20, you're having a great game and you're yeah, living, you you're living the dream. I think he, I, I, I think I'd have I'd no be, trouble. I'd be no uh, trouble. shaken. Yeah, I wouldn't I'd be have, shaken. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, honestly, maybe, maybe I'm just dreaming. But but I like to think that the. That it's exciting that they get their moment. Um, You know, they talked about this being sort of an embarrassment for the Leafs because of how the game went. I think really oh, that was, yeah, but you know, the real embarrassment for the Leafs was that with all due respect, and I am absolutely thrilled that David got his opportunity, but that, you know, they could only come up with a 42 year old emergency backup. I think that's really the embarrassment. Um, surely with all the goaltenders that live in the Toronto area, that there's somebody who's played at a decent level and is, you know, in their twenties. Uh, and able to go out there and perform at a, at, a, at a level, at least. I mean, as I know, I Kevin, I heard you say this morning on one of your radio hits, uh, kudos to David for his his mental approach and ability to go out there and and handle it, the pressure. Um, but but I think at some point we've got to be headed towards a standard for emergency backups. Yeah, I know. I don't mean to sound like, a, as I said this morning, like a cop no. or like the fun police or like Brian Burke and the guys that have railed on this, but. Um, I mean, I had this conversation in text messages with different NHL goalie people and, and people in the front offices and there needs to be a standard. I'm sorry. Uh, here in Vancouver, we've got UBC goalies that rotate in and out of it. One of them actually that would normally be there, uh, just happened to be in Alberta this weekend, stopping like 94 and 96 to upset, uh, one of the best teams in Canadian uh, university sports in a playoff series over the weekend, like and making saves that you'd you'd be accustomed to in the NHL. So it's a fantastic story. I find a little bit of ironic that it actually has usurped Alex Ovechkin <laughs> yes. hitting 700 goals as the biggest Dominated story of the day. Um, yeah, and and so it's a great story. And like I said, like I Hutch, you might you might be the exception because for sure, man, my my cheeks are puckering if I'm in there in that situation with uh, that big uh, that bigger crowd and and the way that David maybe being a practice goalie and seeing those shots helps him be comfortable in that environment. I was amazed by the composure he showed, especially after the first two went in, going in the locker room and saying, "Hey, boys, I got this in the third. Don't worry about it." 
But again, when you just look at whether it's him moving around, the quality of the movement, uh, there's just that I think we can find a he higher won, standard. And I know that no, that's it's incredible that he won. Be, I mean, who wasn't other- thrilled that he won? It's fantastic. It's every beer leaguer's dream, comma. I think it's important next time they have a certain standard. He won. Yeah. Maybe not awesome a beer leaguer. That he won. So you're good with it? Just anybody, Darren? Well, as long if he wins, yeah, until until somebody gives up 12. Hey, Boston gave up 9 to to Vancouver. True. True. Nobody was saying, "Hey, they they their their tandem is too old." So they didn't move heirs at the deadline to Boston. That's shocking. I I'm surprised at that take. Hey, listen, I think I think it, I, well, I just think it's it's more it's more credit to Carolina. I mean, the irony is the the Carolina Hurricanes have long had the theory that they don't need to spend on goaltending if they build a good enough team, and they kind of proved it the other night, and then proved it again a day later at the trade deadline, or a couple days later at the trade deadline when they didn't bother to replace either of the two guys. Who I, are on I think IR. there's more pressure on uh, the two guys that have been called up and uh, and whoever ends up playing the next couple of games. To uh, to give up less than four, which is basically what what Ayers did, uh, two goals in half the game. If you give up more than four, then the then the guys on that bench are looking over, going, "What's what's with our guy when we had that forty two year old?" Well, hey, listen, if they defend the way they defended for the last half of that game against the Maple Leafs, the guy coming in from the American Hockey League will have no trouble adding a uh, shutout to his. I resume. was watching with a couple of. Uh, interesting observers because it did capture the hockey world and and uh it was before a game that i was working uh on on saturday night in vegas and one of those was chris pronger and chris was looking at me like oh, irate going, why are they not why are they dumping it in toronto why aren't they just shooting from center ice what what's with all this this uh structured play that they're playing it like like Mrazek's in just get every puck to to the net, and uh, he was he was blown away. And then Jim Craig came on the 1980s uh, Miracle on Ice Olympic uh, champion. He was on our pregame show, and uh, we slid the the laptop uh, aside, and he was watching like like a kid. And it was funny watching the Miracle on Ice winning goaltender watch this miracle miracle on part two. ice in Toronto, and the biggest smile on on Jim's face uh, taking this in. So there was. So a couple of a uh, couple of different observations um, uh, on both sides of it. Uh, one, what was Toronto doing, and the other one was this guy living out his dream. Hey, the point of the sport is entertainment, isn't it? Yeah, and and uh, and I love the fact that they made him put on a pant shell uh, in between yeah, the second and 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 the third period. So he would have had to like take off his pads and everything, right? Not his skates, but just his pads. Yep. Yeah. Just his pads. Yeah, you have to get that shell over. Hey, listen, and the other one is like, it is a great story. And let's applaud the hell out of that side of it. Let's not lose sight of it. The way the Carolina Hurricanes have like leaned into this and embraced it. He's down there doing the siren. They had a media, like they, it's their media PR staff that's been sort of leading this tour that he's on. Uh, the t-shirt that they're selling with proceeds going to, um, you know, a kidney donation or kid, you know, like um, yeah. kidney health. I'm not sure exactly where, but to tie into the fact that he is a guy who's received kidney a, a kidney donation. Uh, just, just, just all kinds of. Would Carolina you expect anything else right, for, hey? or like, anything less than a bunch fun, of jerks no, uh, campaign? No, it's brilliant. But let's no, salute Darren's no, but, Darren's brilliance but, too, because months ago we put in an order and did a bunch of 
fun stickers for in goal, you know, goalie mom, goalie dad, pad stacker. And Darren said, let's do an e-bug one. And uh, we did an e-bug one. We threw something up on Twitter this morning that we had them in light of what just happened. Uh, just in case you want to let your team know they have to play Carolina D, you can wear one of these on your helmet. <laughs> and uh, the order started coming in and we we sold them out and had to reorder right away. So um, way to go, Darren. You jumped on the bandwagon for us too. Thank you. And, and I will be honest, I don't remember suggesting that. So uh, I appreciate the credit. Uh, All to you, that. buddy. All you. Uh, um, I just, uh, I know we've got a list of things to get to, but uh, because we're talking about errors here, uh, how surprised were you that Carolina didn't uh, make a move to to acquire a goaltender the way Colorado did as some insurance, the way uh, Vegas did to upgrade their goaltending? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, I am surprised because I think Reimer's going to be at least a couple weeks. Um, and there's no timeline on Mrazek because it's a concussion. But again, this is a franchise that has pretty much gone with the philosophy if you build a great team, you don't need to spend big on goaltending. Uh, according to reports out of Carolina, they didn't like the price that was being asked for Robin Lehner. And when you look at the price that Vegas paid, you think that's not much. But let's be honest, when you lose your two starting goaltenders on national television on Saturday night, the ask for Carolina could have been much greater than what Vegas ended up paying for Robin Lehner. Um, certainly GMs have been known to try and take advantage of, of a peer who's in trouble there. Uh, and secondly, Alex Nedeljkovic, like the reigning American Hockey League and Calder Cup champion goaltender of the year down there. Um, I watched his NHL debut here in Vancouver. He's a legit prospect. He handles the puck as well as anyone in the league. It's part of the thing that feeds his game. Uh, it's something that if they can force teams to dump in and play a dump and chase style. Not that that's a strength of Carolina, but if they can force that, he can really be a difference maker back there. Uh, he's this kid's legit. Barube's got NHL experience, but Nadelkovic is the guy that I look to maybe take those reins. Maybe you're operating without a safety net, not bringing someone in, but they must be confident that at least Reimer is going to be back within the next couple of weeks. And that said, with the way the standings are, if Nedeljkovic doesn't get the job done, their whole season could be over in the next couple of weeks, despite adding all those other parts that they did, like like Vincent Trocek from Florida. So, yeah, I guess the more I, the more I talk about it, the more surprised I am. I, I think exactly what Kevin said about other GMs around the league was what first came to mind. I mean, around trade deadline, we get fan bases getting upset because a move wasn't made by their team. But let's not forget that it has to be a prudent move. and. And there is no chance that the other GMs were, were going to, you know, hand a goaltender to Carolina to solve their problem for them. Of course, they're going to try and take advantage of the situation. So in a way, I wasn't really surprised at all. And it's a great opportunity. And I, I, think, I think Carolina showed that they can do it with David Ayers, another excellent puck handling goaltender, eh, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, well, and this is a team that got to the Eastern Conference Final last year with a waiver wire reclamation project in Curtis McElhenney and a pure reclamation project in Peter Morazic. So again, they don't feel like they need to spend big uh, in order to um, you know, have success, don't need to spend big in gold. The other thing to remember, guys, when we look at some of the big names, like I'm not sure they could have handled Robin Lane. Like they would have had to make other moves to handle Robin Lane's cap hit, I believe. They do. Yeah, there you go. So, so I guess it could have been doable. So, it's anyways. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Don't sleep on Adelkovich, though. I think uh, the kid's I legit. I personally, and I'm on record with this. 
uh, cheering for Carolina to make the playoffs, but make the playoffs by one point. Oh, who isn't? So the, so the legend lives on. Or the it's Leafs the to miss. A, and the Leafs to miss by a point. Yes. Yeah, the, see, I posted the the Carolina part, and I immediately got flooded by Leaf people or yeah. Leaf haters. I think they were one and the same that night, uh, <laughs> uh, talking about missing by a single point. But you're right about that. Uh, you brought up Laner. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks dealt uh, Robin Laner, the uh, Jennings Trophy winner last year with the New York Islanders, Masterton Trophy winner, and uh, he that incredible speech. Um, I may be mentally ill, but I'm not mentally weak. Uh, when he expect, uh, accepted the Masterton Trophy in T-Mobile Arena in Vegas last June, and now he is part of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, an upgrade, clear upgrade on the, uh, on the backup position in Malcolm Subban, who goes the other way. Well, when you add a guy who was a Vezina Trophy finalist, it's going to be an upgrade on, on you know, a lot of situations. So it's not a slight on Malcolm, uh, who had some speed wobbles this season at times. But uh, clearly, like Laners, you know, up until the last couple of weeks in Chicago, he was having another Vezina type campaign. Uh, didn't have the starts, but when you looked at his adjusted numbers, and he talked about this in the podcast with us, right? Like his stats, his raw stats may have been less, but he felt like he was playing way, way better in Chicago than he had to with the Islanders. And the adjusted numbers back that up. He was up there amongst the best in the league. He's still, I think, seventh in the league in terms of, you know, the adjusted goals he's given up, uh, courtesy of ClearSight Analytics. He's, he's had a hell of a year. And so to add somebody like that at the deadline, um, you know, we just talked about Carolina not making any moves. Like that's to add him as a compliment piece to Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, at a time when everyone talks about needing two goaltenders, that's a tandem I'd put up there with anyone. Hundred percent, and not just needing two goaltenders, but but needing to get Flurry some rest heading into the playoffs. I mean, obviously anything could happen as to who ends up playing in the playoffs, but what an opportunity to give him some rest. But uh, who would know what's going on better than anybody? Darren Millard, you're in the room. What's going on? You know what? There's two things I wanted to know from uh, Robin today when he debuted at practice, uh, and he did not have the pad skins on. He had his uh, the 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 black and the red uh, still. But uh, one was, uh, did he expect to be dealt? And he said a couple of weeks ago, no. But the offer never came, and as it got closer and closer, he started to come to the uh, acceptance of that that he would be traded. And number two is. Uh, Right now, he's scheduled to wear the number 90. Uh, and uh, I said, why 90? And his reaction or his answer was, uh, I'm looking for a new lucky number. Now, the, the internet... Not the answer uh, we wanted. Yeah, everybody's... Even the Carolina Hurricanes tweeted out saying... I saw that. <laughs> uh, in response, they said, uh, are you wearing this as a tribute to David Ayers? And, and Robin responded to that did he uh, sure why not sure why not <laughs> so it's, he, he's having some fun with which he has with the shootout to with which he has uh been very open about um uh the mental health so uh he he did look like there was a like he was the player that was traded at the deadline like uh head uh head spin like trying to get at his bearings but uh but yeah he was uh he was having some fun uh fun with things and and he's been up front saying I'll I'll do whatever needs to be done I want to want to win a Stanley Cup. We talk about fit. I think he's a fit from that personality standpoint. I mean you're going to love him. I every time I get to talk to the guy like about the position and we've we had yeah. it on the you know I think what yeah. 6 7 episodes episode 52 like the in-depth the detail he gets into his approach is so open and honest like I love talking goaltending 
with Robin later. And so you're going to love it there that it's a big personality. It's a, it's a perfect market for that. It probably would have fit Carolina really well too. Um, but he's also a fit style wise. We've talked about in the past how Dave Pryor as the goaltending coach has a lot of pull in terms of what they acquire and what they do. It seems uh, they've always been pretty open about that since they started as a franchise guys that fit guys that don't default to the butterfly guys that are willing to stand there and be patient and not retreat and not fade into their net. And like that is description of Robin Lehner to a T, like half butterfly saves, not not just dropping by default. We've seen the pad stacks. Like he just has a ton of patience in his game at a time when it's never been more important. He has unpredictability in his game. In a lot of ways, he's very similar yeah. to Marc-Andre Fleury, and he should be a really good fit for that team in terms of style and systems matching as well. The um the stick. Can you tell me about the stick that he uses because it looks I like a curve as big as any curve I've I've seen uh with with a goaltender. Have you have you guys Well, I'd have I'd have to see I'd have to see what he had at practice today. He's he's basically got a yeah. warrior Ben Bishop model. Um and actually I, I know our friends over at uh, Goalie Gear Nerd had some stuff about you see, they don't even make that model in black. You can't buy it stock in black. Like he doesn't have a custom-made Robin Lehner model. He uses this Bishop model. And so when he went to the dark pads in Chicago, um, they actually had to spray paint it black for him to match his pads. And then they had a warrior sticker yeah. kit or stencil kit that they would spray the white on. Interestingly enough, I, I never had a chance to post this. I feel bad because it was actually right around the time that Goalie Gear Nerd was posting it. But here in Vancouver, he ran out of his he ran short on sticks. And they didn't have the stencil kit with them. And the trainer was actually out there with an X-Acto knife creating out of white tape a stencil kit so he could spray paint this white Ben Bishop stick to Robin Lehner's colors for one of their games. Wow. I've got photos of it and everything. It's hilarious. Um, so, but as far as the curve goes, like I like, uh, haven't had a Bishop curve in a, in a while, so I don't know just how... How much arc is on there, Darren? But that's that's what he's using. You know what? You, you, we don't know the answer to the question, but that was a way better answer uh, about about the stick. I, I now I got to tweet out, or we're gonna have to send out on social media the the images and the story of this guy creating this stick because it was it was something to behold, and he was pretty cool about it. Like uh, just sort of let me take photos and take video and it sort of like walking something us Hutch, through it. Uh, like Dad would do. He'd be out there with your exact knife. Yeah, for a kid, I would, but I'm. That's what I was curious about. I mean, okay, probably there's a contract there from Warrior, so he has to have have the name on the stick. But if they can't provide something in the right colorway for him, I don't know that I'd be work bending over backwards to stencil on Warrior on my sticks. Oh, you're such a like. I'm a cynic. You, I know. First, first Woody on on the e bug thing, and now you with the stick. You guys, yeah. something's going day. on up there. Grumpy day at Ingle, eh? Not enough sun Grumpy in BC day. today. Party, um, party poopers. We're party poopers. Uh, We're pretty much narcs. There's something about the Lower Mainland entry deadline where weird things happen, and uh, and now we know Jacob Markstrom's out uh, a month. Um, what uh, what do you guys make of this? And and Woody, I'll start with you. Um, how impactful uh, will this be? Uh, Thatcher Demko there and uh, Louis Domingue acquired. Uh, this is the Demko show, guys. Um, they do play, I think, s- what is it, 19 games in 35 days coming up? Like, they got a huge schedule coming up. They got four back-to-back. So you're going to see some Deming, but Deming was not brought in here to save the season. It's going to be on Thatcher Demko. We'll find more out this week in terms of the extent 
of Jacob Markstrom's injury. There was some speculation, and I'm going to write on the record, I don't have inside information. My relationship with Ian Clark is one where I wouldn't even ask this, to be honest, because it just puts him in a bad spot to tell me. But other media in the market have reported that it's a, speculated or reported that it's a meniscus, which isn't bad. Like you, I, you could go in and have a scope on a meniscus, and as long as it's not like something like a bucket handle tear, if it's just a small tear and you just clean it up, that's like three weeks for a goalie. Um, can be even faster than that. So it's not the end of the world. Uh, it's probably better than an MCL, which is three, four weeks minimum, and it doesn't get better really for months and months. Um, but as far as the impact goes, like that's going to be on Demko to decide how much. I think Thatcher can handle this mentally. I don't think the pressure will get to him in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he's equipped to handle that. Uh, technically, his game has come a long ways. It's just there's an experience factor he doesn't yet have. Balancing your rest versus, you know, managing your rest versus managing your game and getting time with the goalie coach. Like, this is a big ask. I think he's capable of stepping in and providing them number one goaltending, but asking him to come in and provide what Jacob had given them, which was Vesna Trophy, like candidacy style goaltending, that's a big ask. That's a really big ask. I think they're going to need to be a little better defensively. I think they needed to make that adjustment anyways, but better defensively over the next three weeks than they have been over the past three months in front of Thatcher Demko. Um, I think he's capable, but to say it's it's a slam dunk that he's just going to be able to step right in, I think, you know, frankly, just... Well, that's because of the... the doesn't pay, it doesn't pay enough respect yeah, the, to how the, good Jacob Hutch, been. that's, that's uh, as much a credit to Markstrom and the level that he was playing at. 100%. I think, I think Kevin's point about comparing him to somebody playing as, at a Vesna level is something that's being missed in the market. And this is a market that really does sort of devour their young in terms of goaltenders. And uh, and will he be able to to compare to Markstrom? And that's that's not fair to him at all. Uh, you can play at a high level number one standard without being at Markstrom standard. But uh, but I think that's something that could happen. And on the other hand, what an opportunity for the Canucks to really see what they have. Uh, it's not an opportunity they wanted, but but we keep talking about what the future might be in Vancouver, and it's a great opportunity for them to find that out now over the next three four weeks. Carolina and Vancouver. Two teams with uh, with young goaltenders, top prospects, and both with uh, with a lot in their plate right now. Uh, Markstrom uh, probably ends his Vesna Trophy uh, chances. Uh, I still think he'll be a finalist, but but likely does uh, because of the absence. Uh, work workload wise, do do you think maybe the forced rest isn't can't necessarily be looked at as a bad thing, or do we put too much emphasis on? on the workload that he was uh, already carrying, Woody? Uh, I don't think he was in the 40 game range, maybe 42. He wasn't playing at like a Hellebuck or Price or uh, Freddie Anderson type pace. Like he wasn't, you know, they had, they had, they had managed it a little better. He'd had a couple of apps. But he like was going to be the guy. Like he was going right? to ride him down the stretch. He would have. Yeah, but they would they would have ridden him down the stretch, but they wouldn't have rid- they wouldn't have like ridden the wheels right off him, right? They had Demko there. They they've been a very good franchise at recognizing diminishing returns with their goaltender. Yeah, they'll play Jacob Marks from back to back games if they know they can get him practice and time off for the next three. Like they've been really good at sort of managing these things. They did it right back to when they had Nilsson. When even when Andres was struggling to get a win in Vancouver, if they saw diminishing returns in Markstrom's game, they'd give him a game off to get more time with Ian Clark, even though at the time putting Anders in, you know, for a while there was like he just couldn't win. Um, so I don't think they would. It's not like they would have, they wouldn't have ridden the wheels off Markstrom. Demko was going to play probably more than Domingue mm-hmm. is going to play now, to be honest with you. Um, but 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, um, I don't think I could say it's a positive. The one thing I will say about Markstrom is the only question I have yet to see answered about him is whether he could play behind a team that doesn't give up a ton of shots, or whether he could be a good, mm-hmm. quiet goalie. Like He's a, a good, shot, busy goalie. Uh, 30 shot, um, 25 shot yeah, at night. Right. So you wonder how he is coming off of a three-week absence. Those those tend to go hand in hand. Right. Uh, when you get into a flow and you're you're used to a lot of work, sometimes that can just uh, toss your rhythm right out of whack. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist has been uh, sent for a loop here. Uh, I didn't yeah. think that we'd get to this stage this year to mull it over, but is Henrik Lundqvist destined to leave the New York Rangers? The way the way we're looking at it right now, everything they say is that they're going to handle it the right way, and everything they do is pushing them out the door. Like uh, those are two different things: what they say and what they do. It, I mean, that's me reading into but this situation. But ever since early January, yeah. he's got a year left. But then, so it's going to be on him. But they're clearly making it a tougher decision for him to stay. And I never thought that would be the case. I thought he would always stay and finish there. And they're making that really tough on him. I mean, this is a guy who we talked about this recently. He should be, he should just be going night, night in, night out, neck and neck with Marc-Andre Fleury for that, you know, fifth spot on the all times wins list. And it, I, Hey, listen, I get it. Shesterkin was on a heater, man. He was playing incredibly for them. He was leading their charge back into the playoff race, but now he's out. And the first thing they do is go to Georgiev instead of Henrik Lundqvist, I think, tonight. And that's got to be a bit of a slap. That's, that's got to be tough. And the part that gets lost in this, and I got to say, I tweeted about it yesterday. I heard it on a lot of the deadline shows. I heard on both networks. I heard it on local radio here in Vancouver that Henrik is past his best before date, that Henrik Lundqvist isn't what he was, that he's done. They look at the raw numbers, 907 save percentage. And that's just... Not fair. And yeah, I'm a Henrik Lundqvist apologist. The guy has been fantastic to us at Ingle over the years, answering emails in season and in the off season. Every time he comes to town, he gives us a sit down like, love the dude. And he's a hell of a goaltender bound for the Hall of Fame. But pure numbers, clear sight analytics. Before they went to a three goalie rotation and threw him for a loop, both in terms of his future and taking him right out of that routine and rhythm that we talked about. This guy was playing at a you know, top five to top 10 level of the NHL when you adjusted his numbers for shot quality. That team is a gong show defensively. And yes, Shesterkin was able to sort of survive behind it. I would argue that's easier to do at the beginning than it is over time because eventually all those passes that get through, you start cheating on them. It's bad defensive environments are cumulative. I believe that firmly. But Lundqvist was performing at a really high level when you adjusted the numbers. So for those people that look at the age and look at the raw save percentage and say, you know, he doesn't have it anymore. He's not Henrik Lundqvist anymore. Like, I know this is a family program, but they're don't, like, don't, don't, I, I got to, I actually, I gotta got I'm worked I up. I'm worked up. I, I don't do want to have Hutch. Yeah. It's a crock of crap. He's still capable. Maybe not as often. Especially behind that team. Maybe not year? as regularly. I can't see it. No, I can't see it. And that's the thing. But. But the $8.5 million cap hit is an issue too. Like you said, Darren, he has term. There aren't a lot of teams that are in contention, which is obviously what he'd want, is a chance to win a cup. Uh, as much as he wants it to be in New York, we all know that. He wants a chance to win a cup. How many cup contenders can afford that cap hit, even if the Rangers eat half? Like I've, I've looked at it because this is a big unrestricted free agency summer and a lot of talk in this market about Markstrom and he's going to want $6 million a season. 
I got I could count on like there's two or three teams in the entire league that are going to be looking for a $6 million number one goaltender next year, just based on the other contracts they have. And the most the Rangers can eat is half. So unless you do a three-way like, like the Leafs did with Vegas to get laner and reduce that cap hit even further, like the, there's just not a ton of fit out there. And yet if I'm a team that's on the cusp of challenging, I still firmly believe that Henrik Lundqvist could give you the type of goaltending that could put you over the top. And at the same time, if I was that team, I'd want two shots at it. And I would have taken a stab at him this right now at the trade deadline now if I was a Carolina or a Colorado and I could find a way to make that fit and give him two shots with my team. Although I guess in fairness, this probably would have been a pretty big adjustment for him to just get used to being somewhere else. So that's a big long-winded ramble from a guy who thinks they're absolutely not uh, treating him no, the way I'd like to see him. No, you're not long-winded. Never, you don't ramble. never. I'm no leaving way. now. That was below your league average length. I think it was too. Yeah. Uh, I guess when Marty Brodeur finishes as a St. Louis Blue, yep. anything's possible yeah, and, is. and we'll get over it. And and people will will True. somehow get uh, like the, the, that that fence will be mended and it'll all be fine. But but yeah, you'd like to see in your heart of hearts, you'd like to see him walk off the ice at MSG just holding a stick up and one more uh stick tap, but I don't know. Maybe he'll need uh, Padskins. <laughs> oh, no, he won't need it because he's got Ooh. Bauer Digiprint. But we've talked about this, right? Like that's a, he, in an era where everybody gets moved around and masks don't stand out. They're all kind of the same and quite busy. Like he, his pads. He's exactly that. He is the last sort of iconic goaltender from a style standpoint, from a one franchise. And I shouldn't say last, but he's got the guy I think of first, I guess, when I think of iconic style and goaltenders. And just to, to, to have to imagine that somewhere else, I have a tough time with it. Henrik Lundqvist without the Statue of Liberty on his pads or his mask is just, oh, I'm at a loss for words. And I you can't guys imagine. Doesn't happen. I, if they eat half that salary, I can't imagine there isn't somebody who would, who would take that on. I mean, still to, $4 million. Yeah, $4 dollars, million dollars and, for a Hall of Fame goaltender is, is an incredible bargain. Uh, I would think some, and, and Woody, I, I see your point about why wouldn't they do it for, for two shots. Uh, you know, that makes sense, but, but whether, whether somebody wasn't willing to pay the price or maybe he's not quite ready to wrap his head around leaving New York yet. I mean, you can imagine the, the conflicted feelings the guy would be having right now. He's probably really frustrated with how he's being treated, but at the same time, I'm sure he doesn't want to go anywhere either. So these aren't easy decisions to make. If you don't have DigiPrint, then uh, then get some Padskins. And if you if you change teams, if you have to, if you got a really crazy lineup on Thursday night and you and you want to do it on a Monday, uh, change your teams or spring hockey. Uh, change uh, change into uh, some Padskins. And if you're gonna buy Padskins, buy them at the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey, British Columbia, or at thehockeyshop.com. That's where we went this week to have Cam Matwiv tell us all about. Padskins, did you guys know that Cam actually appears in a YouTube video showing you how to apply them? I think I'll be watching it. He does. We're going to find out about that and more as we, he- as we head down to the hockey shop to talk to Cam about Padskins, what they are, how to buy them, how to apply them, uh, how to look your best in goal. That's why we go to the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey. That's why we go to the hockey shop.com. They always take care of your technical needs 
Make sure your gear matches your style, just like styles have to match systems in the NHL, but also to keep you looking sharp. Whether it's apparel, whether it's the latest pads, or whether it's just a set of pad skins to match your spring hockey team, make sure you check them out at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports and thehockeyshop.com, where we go right now to get the latest on pad skins from Cam Matwiv. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. You can find them at thehockeyshop.com as well. We're down in the basement, or as I like to call it, a little slice of goalie heaven, surrounded by all the equipment, all the latest, the greatest in goaltending, pads, skates, gloves, blockers, accessories. And that's what we're going to talk to our expert Cam Matwiv about today, accessories. More particularly, the kind of accessories that can help you change your pad design when you change teams. We all saw it with Jack Campbell recently, traded from the Los Angeles Kings to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Appears the next, was it the next night or the two days later? It was literally, I think, I saw a picture the next day almost. Yeah, and, and people couldn't figure out why how his pads went from white with silver accents to white with blue accents. And of course, the answer would be pad skins. Cam, I don't have a lot of experience with pad skins other than covering stories like Jack Campbell's or in the case of pad wrap. We saw that uh, at Ingle recently with James Reimer uh, and, and George Alves, the equipment trainer for the Carolina Hurricanes, basically transforming his entire Bauer ultrasonic set from white and red to a green-themed Hartford Whalers setup. Um, so walk me through how this works. You guys sell pad skins. How do they come? What's the price? Um, how hard are they to install? Give me the, we're not, obviously, is this the kind of thing, do you need to be an equipment trainer at the NHL level to pull this off? Or can somebody like Cam Matwiv redesign their pads easily? Uh, absolutely not. And you know what? To prove that it is possible um, and that even I can do it, we actually have an old video and we can probably dig up the link and maybe attach it somewhere here. Um, it's on YouTube. If you look up how to apply pad skins, you'll find a video of yours truly. Um, definitely a few few years younger. Uh, attaching it to a Bauer, oh, NXG pad. So that 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 dates that, it. That'll date it. Um, they had the internet back then. <laughs> yes, they did. Wow, God, we come so far. Um, you know what? I I struggle with artistic things in this nature. It's not, it's not my thing. You like, you, you put me in art class and I'm pretty sure I close to fail, if not did fail, but you take some time with it. You plot out exactly what you want to do, what it gives you the wax paper to trace your graphic and whatnot to be able to do your design properly. You can do some really, really cool stuff. I've had some customers show me some of the stuff that uh, they've been able to do entire graphics on a blank pad. Um, creating their own graphic, even like a design, like a dragon design and whatnot. Like, you know what? You take some time, you have some patience with it. You can do some really cool stuff for sure. Okay. So sorry, there's there's wax paper. So they've got it set up so you can, you don't just put it on and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Obviously you trace some templates, you can do some different things, get it prepped in advance. Um, timing seems perfect for this because I'm thinking spring hockey for a lot of guys, a lot of goalies will go from you know, uh, an association team in the winter to a different color, maybe with a spring hockey team in the summer. You know how we are as goalies. Speaking of artistic, we like to have our stuff match. We like to look good, look good, feel good, play good, all that stuff. Something like Padkins can make it relatively easy, it sounds like, to change your colors, to make sure you match that spring team without having to hit mom and pop up for a brand new set. Although, hey, it's never a bad thing to hit mom and pop <laughs> up for a brand new set with apologies to mom and pop. 
Um, but, but there's an opportunity there to maybe, you know, get a little more life, still, still look fresh, match the team, all those things while it having to buy a new set. What's, what's the price and, and what are we looking at? It comes in a sheet? That's correct. So there's a small sheet and a large sheet. Uh, the small sheet in particular is 27 by 15. And then the large sheet is uh, 54 by 15. Usually what we would recommend is if you're just doing a glove and blocker, for example, I'd recommend a small sheet. Um, a large sheet uh, is going to take care of some pads and then some, depending on how frugal you are with the actual material itself. Um, and how many times you screw up the first attempt? Yeah, which does happen. So be prepared to make mistakes, but that's what life's all I'm about. I'm all about mistakes. That's why I said that. <laughs> it's all about learning from them, right? Um, wide array from colors, um, you name it. I probably have it. If I don't have it and it is a regular stock color, I can probably order it in specifically for you. So always just ask. Um, like I said, uh, take some time with it and you need some really cool stuff. How does it come off? Does it like that? The one thing to transform your pad, especially maybe, maybe you don't need a new set next year. Maybe you can play right through, but you want to swap for spring hockey and then go back to your association colors without necessarily needing a new set in the fall. A lot of parents right now are going, yes, this sounds like a good idea. Does it come off as well? Very easily, but not so easily that it just falls off. Um, so it is a, like an adhesive sticker, we'll call it for lack of a better term. Um, it will leave a tiny bit of residue, but it, it's enough that you can kind of push it all together, creates a little ball and like a snowball effect, you'll catch all the other, uh, residue that's kind of left over for it. Um, like, like I said, usually comes off quite clean. So maybe, just like peeling a sticker off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, maybe if there is a little bit left, you take a magic eraser to it, it all comes off. No problem. You're back at square one again. Okay. So there you go. Pad skins. Great way. Just like Jack Campbell did with the Toronto Maple Leafs to update your look, match if you've got a new team, if you're switching teams, if you've got a spring team and you need to change your colors up, you want to match, quick, easy to do. Cam's not going to do it for you, but you should be able to figure it out because if he can do it, you can do it. Cam, thanks for filling us in on Padskins, uh, a great product you can find here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey in person. Or if, if you're not in town, you're not lucky enough to be able to just drop by and harass Cam on a weekly basis like I do, you can find it at thehockeyshop.com. Cam, thanks again. Thank you, Cam. It, uh, it's, it's changed the way equipment is, uh, is displayed. Pad skins. And now it's, uh, it's evolved into like pant skins and, and mask skins and all kinds of stuff. Uh, why are you looking at me like that, uh, Hutch? It, Pantskins it has... is a great name, are there? Or do yeah. you just mean shells? No. Really? Yes. Live and learn. I'm, look it up. Google it right now as I, uh, as I transition. I'm going to look up. You Google it. I'm looking up stick skins for Woody. Oh, skip. that's not a bad one, too. And I'm surprised that. You can, you can get wraps. I with know. Custom we, we met somebody doing that too. years ago. You can? Yeah, yeah, it was like a decade ago we met somebody that was doing really? that. Yeah. So if I wanted a uh, yeah. a Woody stick, <laughs> I could I could do that. I know. Careful, I know. careful, <laughs> careful. That could that could go a different way, Darren. As a guy, as a guy who has a local radio show that goes by the that is now just now yeah. called the Morning Wood. Don't get shafted a different on, way. Uh, um, on that. Um, what did you find anything here on on pantskins? Well, I or did. You, it, it, I, and it, it's it's brilliant. It's not what I thought you were talking about. I assumed it was some sort of complete cover to change the color, but but it's an awesome 
product if you yeah. just have to fix something. So you've got a cut in your pant or you've got a cut in the nylon portion of your pads. Uh, you can grab some of this stuff and put it on and fix it up real quick. Every now and then I, I, I have one morsel of knowledge uh, to, to add to the show. Nothing technical. Uh, like, thank you guys. Hey, listen, it's appreciated from as far away as Sweden. We had a request today asking us about the professor strap and the rotation straps. And we deferred them to your comments in the podcast. And uh, they're checking out Kineski as an option that should fit uh, fit for them as a custom option to get that. Uh, really? And I, I loosened my professor strap just a little bit last week to get more rotation on my uh, my pad. Uh, but, uh, but I love it. I, uh, I was, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't play at any level though. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, rider on that. Hey, Definitely. good enough for the Carolina. It, it is. Uh, and, uh, did you know that, um, uh, I have a, uh, among my mask collection, a, a, uh, a mask that, uh, that I actually use, but it's a, the paint job is, uh, of, uh, Bob Essenza, Essenza uh, is masked from the Winnipeg Jets with the uh, with the jet on top and and going down the side. And I was so excited when I found out that uh, uh, goalie Bob was going to join us this week. It's uh, that setup from the uh, from the Winnipeg Jets is uh, is one of the greatest of all times. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation. Can we get a photo of that mask for the show notes? You can. I will. Preferably with you wearing it. I uh, I have to have one somewhere because it's in storage right now. Oh, okay. Uh, because as as we wait to uh, do the full transition, but I I should have it. I, I will get you one. Okay. Absolutely. I promise. But it's a it's a great one. Uh, David Regal painted it, and uh, it, he's got a couple of little subliminal uh, things on it that uh, that you'd have to be right up close to to see. But uh, but the actual mask is it's it it was one of my go goals was to get a uh, a paint job of that that great Winnipeg jet mask of, uh, of goalie Bob. Hey, shout out uh, to David you- Arrigo, who was one of the first guys to pick up the phone when I was calling around when Ingle first started pre Woody and, uh, wanted to share some information about, uh, goalie masks. And, and David went out for coffee with me in Toronto and was, uh, sharing lots of fantastic stuff with me. Um, first time we published a mask before anybody else in the world had seen it was, uh, one that, that David had sent. Uh, I, I can still remember my excitement as uh, as a youngster in this field, riding along in David's Jeep and Carrie Price phoned. Um, so yeah, we have a long history with David. So uh, showed it to him. Great, great painter. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is a solid artist. Uh, so with this this conversation, I didn't realize that you knew Bob uh, as well as you uh, appear to know him, uh, Woody. I shouldn't pretend that I know him super well, but uh, yeah, early in my career covering the Canucks, he was a goaltender here. Um, early Dan Cloutier days might have been around the time when Felix Potvan was here too. So I uh, got to know him a little bit then. And obviously as a goalie coach for the Boston Bruins, he's come through town obviously a bunch of times over the years and always been really just one of those really approachable, easygoing guys that's happy to talk about the position, happy to answer questions. Basically, he puts up with my crap and, <laughs> and answers a few questions when I see him. Um, and obviously, I, I'd almost forgotten the, the relationship with, uh, with Eli Wilson, right. which he talks about in the interview. Uh, we talk about sort of staying fresh technically as a guy who came up in an era where there wasn't as much goaltending coaching. Uh, he's just, he's a, he's a really great guy, first of all, but he's fascinating to talk to because he does sort of bridge the gap between two different eras. And he's, he's managed these goaltenders in Boston who, you know, have a lot of unique aspects to their game, but are at the same time, you know, evolving technically. Uh, Tim Thomas talked 
uh, in the past, uh, I can't remember what article we had on it where Tim was talking about going to a goaltending school in the summer with Bob Asenza and asking the kids or they demoed a drill and one of the Bob asked the kids, okay, what did you see that Tim did in that drill? And one of the, like 12 or 13 year olds puts up their ha- her hand and says he got up on the wrong leg. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, but, but Tim was a guy who, Tim was a guy who modernized his game. Right. So like as much awesome. as we thought of him as this unmade bed out there flying around aggressively and street hockey and battle fly and all that stuff, there was also an evolution technically. And, and Bob was a part of that. So I think he is a, at a time when we talk a lot about unpredictability and the return of patience in the game. I can't think of a better guy to talk to from a goalie coach standpoint uh, than Bob Essens. And, and thankfully, he gave us a full half hour on a game day when the Bruins were in town here. And if you've ever wondered how a, a goalie coach from an era uh, of maybe one or two prior stays sharp, Bob addresses that in this conversation. And it's really interesting. Uh, and his uh, his philosophy and his uh, ability to stay current. Well, I mean, of course, one of the things he says, which I swear to God was not planned, but we are clipping the crap out of this and publishing it. He, if you want oh, to, yeah. if you want to stay modern, he reads Ingle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't don't think that didn't go unnoticed. Yeah, that 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 was outstanding. So it's goalie Bob Bob Essenza. Uh, the feature interview on Ingold Radio, the podcast. Uh, listen to this and enjoy because uh, there's something uh, for everybody as, uh, as Bob catches up with Kevin Woodley or Kevin Woodley catches up to Bob. It's hard to tell because uh, it's just a really cool conversation. So I guess the one question I, w- I wanted to start by going back and I kind of, this has become a habit, maybe, maybe just lazy on my part, but it tends to get us, get us some good answers. How did it start for you? Where, where, did, where did the passion for goaltending start for you? Well, I think most goalies would probably tell you that it probably starts with having older brothers. And I had an older brother. Um, grew up in Toronto um, and basically playing road hockey back in Toronto, like, like probably a lot of you know, young Canadians and certainly a lot of young Torontonians. So. Uh, and we had games you know, nightly through the winter. And whether I didn't care if it was a school night or not, you know, we, we played all the time. So. Uh, that's probably where it started, and like I say, be, being a on the uh, the youngest sibling uh, in my family, uh, you you tend to get thrown on the net more than most, and so that's that's probably where it all began. It's amazing how many conversations we have with goalies right to right up to the NHL today. Most definitely. same thing. It's a big brother, and if you want to play with the big kids, you got to start. <laughs> yeah, net. you got to start net absolutely. So that's where it happened. When did it become something like did it, minor hockey? Like, did you know right away? Because not everyone likes being thrown in net and having big brother take those shots. No, not really. I mean, I'm not sure when you, you figured out that you you you're at the curve or ahead of the curve or behind the curve. But um, for me personally, I probably put the pads on maybe a little too early. I was probably you know seven or eight at the time, um, only because I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, like typical uh, goalies in in Toronto, the Toronto area. I grew up in Etobicoke. We, uh, you know, you play your your local teams, and then if you get some interest elsewhere. I remember going to uh, to a tryout one time, and there was literally you know thirty goalies out there, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to stand out here." So we we didn't even bother going back to the second tryout, and the coach called and said, "Where where are you?" So yeah, that's kind of where it all began. We went back. Uh, the next tryout, and we're one of two goalies, so happy days. <laughs> um, I, I I was looking in the bio. It's that time of year, Quebec Pee Wee tournament. You had you got to play there too. Was it as big, like was it as big a deal back then as it is now? It's all over the. Like- well, it, it certainly was for us. Um, 
Uh, I was playing for the Toronto Marlies at the time, uh, going out there, um, you know, you, uh, high expectations, obviously. And I think we ended up losing to another Toronto team, Young Nats in the semis uh, in my in my day. Uh, all, you know, quality games, but, you know, the just playing in front of uh, a little more people than what you're used to playing. Um, and back then, I'm sure it, it's continued, you know, well beyond my years, uh, you know, the, the trading of the pins and, you know, going around and, you know, representing your team and handing out pins. And obviously the, the big attraction was trying to be the, the kid with the most pins at the end of the week. Nice. Um, from there, well, I mean, obviously a little bit of time, but junior being NCAA route, was that, I mean, I don't, as a guy who's not familiar with that, some of the different options back then compared to say now, was that, was that fairly common or was that a lot less it, common back there? It was right then? around the time that maybe the pendulum swung a little bit. Um, my my brother was drafted up to Sault Ste. Marie uh, two years prior to to uh, my uh, junior draft, and you know he went up to Sault Ste. Marie. I actually went with him. He went up there uh, the same year John Van Beesbrook was a, was a rookie, um, and you know I, I got a little bit of a taste of it, so I could kind of feel for what you know was was ahead of me. Uh, I got drafted to Cornwall uh, in, in the OHL draft, and. At, at that point, I was trying to debate, you know, which way to go. Because, uh, you know, some of the kids that I, I knew and, and played with, you know, were thinking about going the college route. I actually sat down with my, who would turn into be, become my, my future, future agent, uh, Mike Leute at the time. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I was fortunate enough that he sat down with us. Uh, him and his, his family sat down with uh, me and my folks. And he kind of laid out, you know, his route uh, to get into the pros. And uh, I think that was the turning point for me. I, I said, you know what, you know, rather than go to Cornwall, I think I'd rather play a couple of years of junior B and, and see if I can't make a, uh, a name for myself in the NCAA. Okay. And then you go to, you go to college, win an NCAA championship, um, with Michigan state. What was that? I mean, was that, was there any point where you thought, geez, was this the right route? You stayed all four years. You probably saw some of those people that went to the Ontario hockey league. For sure, and up in the pros earlier than <laughs> sure. you, than you did, yeah. and yet like, and I, I missed it in there. Also drafted at the same time, you know, by the Winnipeg Jets. Well, I fell into a good program. I fell into the uh, the Henry Carr uh, Crusader program. Uh, you know, Peter Miller, um, Danny Cameron at the time, they were um, you're really pushing guys into U.S. colleges. And I think my two years there, we probably put you know close to twenty kids in in U.S. colleges, which you know was pretty impressive. Um, so for me personally, you know, I just wanted to get a, an opportunity where I was going to go to a, a college and play as a freshman. Um, I actually went in with Normie Foster, another kid that was drafted, uh, you know, a local Vancouver kid here that, um, you know, obviously was a, a terrific guy and a terrific goaltender. Um, so he and I kind of split all four years. So beyond that, you know, like we were just kind of, you know, kind of meandering through our college years and, and hoping that, you know, at, at some point we'd get a chance in the pros and you know, it, it just seemed like a natural progression for us. Was it was it tough? I thought. Did you watch other guys your age starting their pro careers early and have any second thoughts, or did you? Was it always the right decision? I, I never, I never looked back. To be honest, um, you know, once you know, you, and I'm sure most people tell you, once you get caught up in your own little world, whether it's uh, in junior or whether whether it's college, you know, you just kind of stick with it. Um, and you know, obviously, that's back in the days before you know social media and, and and Twitter and all the fun things. So you really kind of tune that out as as best you can and. And for us, you know, going to college and, you know, being in school, you know, most hours are when you were able to get to class, you know, most hours out of each day, uh, it was pretty easy to tune out, you know, what was going on back in Ontario. Okay. So four years there, like you said, an NCAA championship title, um, and then your NHL debut with the Winnipeg Jets, 88, 89. Now you, sp you spent some time in the American League 
as well. What was that transition like back then to pro? It was tough. Um, I remember uh, it was actually Winnipeg's first year of having their own um, affiliate. So they literally signed just about everybody um, they had drafted or was actually looking to turn pro. So we we went to Moncton and we had, I think we had like 16 or 17 rookies at the time, which, you know. Unheard of. So yeah, we, from the goaltending department, we, we saw some action. And uh, it was uh, me and, and Dave Quigley and um, uh, Steve Penny. Uh, so we had three of us to share the, the burden of it. Uh, but it, but it was hard cause our numbers and our numbers reflected that it was, uh, it was a learning experience for all of us. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the following year, I wasn't even good enough to make that team. So they, they punted me over to the IHL. I went down to Fort Wayne and actually, uh, got to play with some of my old teammates from college. So it actually turned into a good thing. Now we're going through the career here, but obviously now the goaltending coach for the Boston Bruins. So I got to ask, cause it's such a different era back then. Nowadays, we got kids with goalie coaches that, you know, you talked about maybe starting too early at seven and eight, they got specialized coaches at seven and eight. Now, <laughs> exactly. at what point in this pro journey, like if at all, like, like was a goalie coach part of your life? Like, and if, and how did you learn things? Was it just watching and off each other or how, what was it, that process? It, like honestly, it, it pretty much was that. Uh, I think one time in Moncton, we had a goalie coach come down. Um, and I obviously Winnipeg had a goalie coach, but he, he wasn't a regular to come down to Moncton or especially not Fort Wayne. So uh, I think for my first two years pro, um, I never, I never, I mean, apart from maybe one skate here, or one skate there, I never really had a whole lot of interaction with anybody of the goaltending world. So, um, so it was, it was kind of, you know, learn from the guy next to you, learn the guy at the, down at the other end of the ice and, you know, you know, try to make your way as best you can. Now, are there benefits to that? Like nowadays at a time when the position is, is so heavily coached, um, and, and you being a coach, like, is there some kids it feel, it feels like at times if they don't have somebody holding their hand, they can get lost. You guys were completely on your own. Where, how do you find that balance? Well, I, I think most goalies will find that they come pretty self-sufficient, you know, whether they have a guy in their ear or not. I think, you know, because it's, it's a lonely position. Let's, let's face it. You're, you're down there by yourself. So uh, you're going to have to figure out a lot of things for yourself. Um, and, you know, you quickly learn, especially at the pro level, you know, what works and what doesn't work. So, it, you know, the, all you have to do is run through some video clips so you can see, <laughs> you know, you, you can easily self-correct what, what, what's not working. So, um, would you guys do that back then? Would you look at your own video or with a, with a playing partner, take a look at your own we, video and we, talk about it? We would see video. I'm not sure we'd actually sit down with our playing partner and, and talk about it, but you know, amongst ourselves, you know, I think we kind of found our way. Um, and it, it's funny how, you know, the, the game is gone, you know, because there was a stretch there and, you know, I, I've read, you know, your in goal magazine a ton. So I, I'm up to date on that. And like, it's funny how the game has kind of migrated back to, you know, working back to your feet. And back, back in those days, you know, we all played from our feet. Um, you know, we didn't have the, the pad technology to, uh, to have it even rotate on your legs. So you didn't, <laughs> if you went down, you know, you had, you had to quickly get back to your feet. But it's funny how, you know, the game, especially in the last few years here, it seems to have, you know, gravitated back that way. Okay. So I got to ask too, and we'll, and we'll go through the playing career as well, because from, from Winnipeg to the Red Wings, a little more time in the AHL, the Oilers for, for a year with Cujo, uh, and then air, finishing Arizona and here in Vancouver, mm -hmm. 2000, 2001. That's my first year as a reporter covering oh, nice. the NHL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had my 20th anniversary <laughs> for that the other day, oh, and you were here. Thank you. <laughs> um, some of the evolutions that you were a part of during your playing career, you mentioned the gear. Like, Do you remember when pads started to, as you said, rotate in a butterfly? How big was that? Th that, that was huge, yes. Um, you know, Certainly, and I was back in the day where 
you know, we as goaltenders, we were always looking to, to grab an edge and, you know, the league, probably more than the league would have liked, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, adding little cheaters on your pants. I remember having like a rubberized material on the inside of my pants that would actually grab the puck. Like it was almost like a sticky, a sticky rubber. So we were always looking to find an edge, um, you know, and, and how, wide were, how wide were some of those pads back then? I mean, I, you hear the stories of guys running them over with trucks to flatten them out. I, I remember, uh, was it probably Mike Richter's pads, you know, that were probably, you know, 12 or 13 inch at the knee, but they, you know, gravitated down to, you know, 17 or 18 down the bottom. So, yeah, I wasn't the only one in the, <laughs> in the league that was looking to try to get an advantage. So, um, and, you know, the, it, it's, you know, well known, the, you know, the jersey sizes and, you know, adding blocks on the, on the hips and, you know, and, you know, our arm and chest just got ridiculous after a while. So, you know, there, there was, you know, you, you tried to, you know, cheat as best you can, or I don't know you want to call it cheating, but it was, you know, we were just trying to, to gain a, an edge and, you know, try to lengthen your career as long as you could. Now, so you, when was your first set of pads where the butterfly, they would rotate and drop to the ice? And it, did you get to the point where you had a landing gear uh, in there? I remember I, Marty right to the end of his career didn't have that knee stack yeah, to land and, on. Yeah, and I'm not sure I ever got to it either, okay. uh, to be honest. Um, my last year uh, in Buffalo was, was actually the year, after, yeah, the year after my, my year in Van. Um, I don't think my pads rotated either. So I, Still I was pretty tight. Yeah, and- I was, maybe I was a little old school in that regard. Well, clearly I was old school. Um, cause there was guys, you know, and, and I played with Marty Brown, obviously his, his pads rotated. Um, but mine, mine did maybe, uh, you know, I just never quite caught up to that technology. You were also around, I've had this conversation with Sean Burke, um, that guy that you played with for a little bit of time in Arizona. In Arizona, yeah. The fear factor used to be very much a part of the position. Pucks hurt. Now, obviously guys can blast it like never before today, but for the for most sure. part, you talk to the goalies like, yeah, we see some bruises here and there and some of them hurt. Yeah but it's not like it used to be like, were you, were you part of that? Do you remember the transition when the fear factor sort of started to leave the position in terms of guys genuinely being scared out there? Well, I, I think none of the guys that, you know, and I'm not sure Berkey's uh, can support me on this, but none of the guys that, you know, played at any length that probably had a whole lot of fear of the puck. Um, did it sting? Did it hurt from time to time? That actually it hurt. You know, there was plenty of kinks in your armor. Um, I was telling somebody just the other day, we were in Edmonton and, uh, telling the story about when Jason Arnett, who, you know, was one of the guys that loved coming down the wing and practice and ripping them high. Uh, he decided to strap the pads on one day and he was out there for a little, like two or three minutes. He came over to me. He's like, Hey, this thing hurts. I'm like, yeah, well, welcome to our world, you know, but <laughs> that, that thing. It, did, did he start shooting lower at that point or no? <laughs> uh, probably not, but, um, but at least he knew, he knew he was stinging us at the time. So, um, but yeah, there was, there was plenty of kinks in our armor. Um, I want to transition a little bit into, well, well, any other stories from the playing days? Like I said, well, the IHL, you, you went to the Red Wings for a year there and then they, they brought in, um, I think it was Mike Vernon came in. You ended up in the IHL. Like what was that league back then? And, and what was that as part of your evolution there, as a yeah, player? There, there's plenty of evolution that, you know, at the end of the day, anything that, you know, and the, the old adage, you know, anything doesn't kill you, just makes you stronger. It, it's true. I, um, you know, I was, I was playing my second year pro uh, down in the IHL. Obviously, I wasn't even good to make the team from Moncton and uh, Winnipeg. You know, fortunately for me, it was having some struggles, so they called me up my 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 second year pro. And I remember going into actually a familiar building for us. You know, at Michigan State was uh, Joe Lewis Arena, so we went in there to play the the Wings there, and they literally scored in the very first shot. I think Dave Barr came in, scored in the first shot, and. Um, Literally, like two minutes later, Stevie Eiserman gets you know hauled down on a on a on a breakaway. So, 
I remember the time, you know, Dougie Smale comes over to me and he's like, you know, Bobby, he, this guy loves to go high glove, you know, like, so he practices it. He's good at it. You know, just, just be aware. He likes to go high glove. I go, and I'm, I'm so scared. I don't know what, whether, whether I'm coming or going. So sure enough, he comes wandering down on the penalty shot and shoots high glove and scores. <laughs> so I'm sure Dougie Smale sitting in the bench going, this kid is not going to be around very long. Uh, but, you know, uh, fortunately enough, we ended up in a 2-2 game um, and I was able to stick around Winnipeg the rest of the year. Uh, and a Vesna nominee in 92 as well. Had some some success with the Jets early on. Uh, we did, yeah. Um, that was the year, I, you know, I split a lot of duties, uh, I think, with uh, Steffi Beauregard. Um, and, you know, we had, we had a nice working relationship. Not, you know, not unlike the one we have here in Boston now with, with Tukes and Yarrow, where, uh, you know, we kind of worked off one another, pushed one another a little bit. Um, so it, it worked out well for us that year. And I think we actually went in the playoffs, flip-flopping goalies, which, you know, obviously is unheard of nowadays and certainly, you know, semi-unheard of back then. But uh, but we, we were good for one another. And I think, you know, the same can be said for, for my two guys here now. Okay, so that setup in Winnipeg might be one of the all-time greats. Like the, the, the gear. Was that... Was that your favorite? Like, were you a gear guy? Did you worry about how it looked or how was that part of the attraction of the position? And because I've had a lot of people say, ask them about his Winnipeg Jets setup. <laughs> and the one you wore at the Heritage Classic just a couple of years ago when you played in the alumni game, was that? Um... Yes. My, my friends at Vaughn over there, they were good enough to make me up a very similar set. Um, I told them to make the uh, the distance from my knees up to my thigh. I had them extend that past what I had back in my playing days. So. Uh, they they were very good to, enough to make me a actually a set of pads that rotate. That might be my first set of pads that actually rotated on my legs. So breakaway save on Mark Messe in that alumni game with those rotating pads. <laughs> yeah, that's right, the old leg sweep. Yeah, so uh, we're bringing that back. But yeah, it was it was a fun day. Um, I said, uh, and I'm sure like most of the guys that were were playing that game, that's probably the last time most of us would put the, the gear on. And I think it for me it has been so, um, but but it's certainly fun to get out there. Okay, so a year earlier though, you had to dress as well as an emergency backup for the Bruins against the Rangers. Are you happy then that the rules have changed and there's one in every building? Or <laughs> well, what, uh, what would it be like maybe, if you had to get thrust into that role? I, I might have been part of that rule change where they changed the rule where you can't have a an employee you know strap on the pads as a, as an emergency backup. So um, now you fortunately, got Ray fortunately me for, for me yeah yeah now we got Andy Raycroft to to help us out. Um, uh, it, it was fun. You know, I, I, I think I actually broke the rules and, you know, I know I broke the rules and came out and sat at the bench. I said, if I'm going to put this gear on here and sit around for a period or, or two, I'm actually going to go out on the bench. So, you know, with a couple of minutes ago, the, I think we were up by a couple of goals at the time. I said, I'm going out to the bench and, um, obviously for maybe for that reason, the, the league has, has turned around and changed the rules and, and allowing a, a goalie coach to suit up. Okay. So I wanted to get to a little bit, uh, into the coaching. And the transition, 0102 is last year with the Sabres. By 2003, your goalie coach for the Boston Bruins. The game has changed so much. It changed while you were playing. It's like you said, self-taught for a lot of it on your own. Like, what was that transition like? How, like, did you have to go back to school yourself at all as this game has gotten so technical at times? And who were some of the people that helped you with it? Uh, honestly, I think we're always in school. Uh, I don't think we ever leave it because um, the game does evolve, you know, and uh, what works today might not be what works tomorrow. Um, there's all, we're always kind of tinkering around with, you know, how we, you know, and you name it, anything about the position, how we transition into post, how we transition out, um, you know, where we are depth wise. And, you know, I don't think there's any two goalie coaches that are on the exact same page with everything. So, you know, there's always a little bit of play there. Um, 
you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, in my, in my early years that I actually hooked up with another, you know, local Vancouver guy and, and Eli Wilson. Um, and Eli and I actually, you know, we ran some goalie camps that came through, you know, my area of town uh, out in Detroit for, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. So uh, it, it's, it's good. I think you have to have that. I have to have, you have to have that interaction with, you know, with other goalie coaches uh, so you can bounce ideas off, off them and, and vice versa. Uh, now, um, uh, uh, Brian DeCord out in, 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 in my area in Boston, you know, he runs like, uh, a one week, uh, goalie camp and he tries to bring in pros and like, literally we have probably 30 to 40 goalie coaches from the area. A lot of pros, a lot of colleges that all get together for a week and they share ideas. And I think you have to have that nowadays. And, and honestly, if you're, if you're stuck in your own organization, that can become quite the bubble. Like if, you know, if you're, if you, all you had access to was you know, internally within the Bruins, I imagine it would be hard to sort of expand. You can, we've seen other organizations where they For really sure. sort of isolate guys and, and it's hard to sort of keep up, frankly, oh, it if is. you don't have those outside voices to bounce off. Yeah. And I think you have to have that. And, and for me personally, um, Again, you, you, you're gonna, what works for one goalie might not work for the guy beside him. Um, so you're always trying to adapt, uh, you know, what your ideals are to, to their game. And, you know, you're, when you get a, you know, a 35, you know, 36-year-old veteran goaltender, you might, you might get some pushback once in a while. So, uh, so hopefully, you know, the, the biggest thing for, for any goalie coach is to keep your goalie, you know, feeling good. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, pumping the tires and, and pats on the back and, you know, trying to keep them in a good, in a good headspace. But, uh, you, 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 what works for one guy is it might not necessarily work for the next. So you got to keep an open mind and, and, and that's sometimes the biggest challenge. Without getting into too many specifics technically or giving anything away, what's it been like to work with Tuca? Cause you know, from the outside looking in, um, you know, one of the greats, uh, has had an incredible career. And you know, watching the playoff run last year and his performance this year, and we're just looking at some of the numbers from Clearside Analytics, like sure. amongst the best in the league, right there, one, two, and in, in, in you know when you break down stats uh, for shot quality, just one of the greats. Like, what's how do you how much how much are you looking to change there over the course of time? Where's that balance between evolution and just keeping him comfortable? Well, uh, you, you take his skill set and. You know, I, I think we, there is some tinkering. Um, well, if you don't, if you, if you just, if you're the same for over a course of time, you're correct. usually falling behind, no? You are, you are. And, and we, and we've bounced it around, you know, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our camp back in, in Boston there, cause I, I get pushback cause, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, how we, you know, get into our seals, whether it's a toe lock or shin lock, um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, Tuke should, it's one of his big benefits is that he, he's so good at the shin lock and he can transition in and out of it so seamlessly that there's no reason why we shouldn't, you know, lean on that seal. And I, I think it's a good seal. It's, it's been easier. Like there was a, a stretch there of two or three years where, um, he was, you know, he felt like he was getting stuck a little bit. So of course he went to the toe lock. Um, well, all of a sudden, you know, now we have, you know, hips and ankle issues and what have you. So we, we gravitated back to what I think, you know, works best for him. Um, and does that work for everybody? No, clearly not. Um, but I, it's funny because, you know, we'll sit around, you know, a table like this in the summer with, you know, three or four goalie coaches and they're saying, why do you, why are you a believer in the shin lock? Because it's so, you get guys that get stuck, you know, left and right. Like, why are you so married to it? And I said, yeah, I, I think you should be able to do them all. Um, and hopefully you can. Uh, some guys will obviously gravitate to what works best for them. 
But I, I think at the end of the day, you want to have as more, and it's an old cliche, but it holds true. I think you want to have as many tools in your toolbox uh, as you can have available to you. And so that's what kind of what we preach. Um, I'm sure most goalie coaches will fall in that same category and, and let the goalies decide, you know, on a, on a situational basis what, what they're going to use. Now you also talked about, um, you know, some of the old things that, that you guys used to talk about skating coming around again and as the game has gotten so fast and, and I think so lateral east west mm -hmm. is that a strength for him in terms of the footwork and and maybe a strength that you guys have even focused on using even more in the past couple of years I, I think most goalie uh, scouts uh, goalie coaches have things that they gravitate towards so when I'm uh, you know looking at you know this year's draft and I'll look at you know 20-25 different goalies you know across you know North America and the world I guess um, the one thing that always pops out to me is foot speed and it always has, um, you know, most goalie coaches and a lot of, you know, scouts will tell you, you know, they're always looking for size first and then, you know, everything else beyond that. I, I like guys that can beat the pass. And if you can't beat the pass, you know, especially the way the, the game is, has, seems to have been evolving here, has evolved in the last, you know, several years, especially, um, if that's not in your repertoire, I think it's it's, it's a challenge. Um, you know, and if you get guys that are you know six five and stay on the goal line, that's a different that's a different subject altogether. But I like guys that can work from their feet, work back to their feet, and get get across the ice um, under control. And um, I think that's like I say, my my first thing I look for when I when I'm pouring through video and and whatnot. You know, come pre draft. Now another old is new thing, and you and you mentioned this as well. Early, you were probably ahead of the curve in Winnipeg in those early days. But this concept of not overtaxing guys and having a tandem, and having and that requires having a good working relationship between the two goalies. It also requires having a goaltender that understands because not everybody, you know, a lot of guys want to play every day. They want they, they want that rhythm. They do. Do you think that just make? I mean, I know it make obviously makes sense for you guys with Tuca, um, but but do you think just as a broad philosophy as much as there are no absolutes in goaltending can you see why so many teams are adopting that uh, you can certainly see and I, obviously we're a league that you know relies on success and you when, when one team is successful doing something it's a copycat then it's a, it's, a, it's a copycat league absolutely and uh you know so we had success you know last year you know trying to keep tuka's numbers down uh, in terms of starts and uh, it, it, it was favorable to us and you know, not that everybody in the league is going to follow that because, you know, everybody's situation is different, but, uh, I, I do think there's merit to it. And I, for me personally, there was a couple of seasons that I played that I got into the sixties and maybe high sixties in terms of games played. And, you know, once playoffs roll around you, you clearly don't feel necessarily as fresh. Um, I didn't fall into that category of the Marty Berduros of the world where I could play, you know, 70 or 75 or the Grand Fears that could play that many games and still, uh, maintain my my level so uh everybody's situation is different but i i certainly think for us and and tukes it, it's been it's been the way to go do you is the game ever like is it hard harder is it fair to say i've had a few guys say that they feel like the game for goaltenders right now is as hard as it's ever been and i wonder in talking to goaltenders how much of it is physical because when they take a day off, they still do all their stretching and they go through all their physical if anything most guys tell me if they're not starting Hey, that's an opportunity because practice time is so limited to get on early and do a focus on a few things with a goalie coach. So they do extra work when they're not playing, but that the break they need is mental. Is is it just like the game that much more 
is do you think it's taxing more mentally than it I, was in I the think past? it is I think it is um, uh, more taxing in the past I'm not sure but but it's a taxing position as you and I know um, and how players handle that is, is going to vary for sure um, I think both I'm like I'm fortunate enough that both my guys here are both pros um, that they take care of themselves off the ice that they uh, they know when it's going to be a work day, and then when they know when we when we need to, you know, take our foot off the gas a little bit. So I, I'm very lucky in that regard. And 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 to be honest, I think you know nowadays, even as opposed to you know ten years ago, and certainly um, opposed to you know my era, the, the the evolution of the game off the ice has, has changed so much in terms of you know what what's available to them, what's right, you know, the nutrition, you know, the the whole nine yards of you know what make goes into making a good goaltender. So. Uh, and I'm sure it'll continue to, to fall in that vein. So, uh, uh, it's a different game now. And, you know, I, like I say, I, I think our guys, uh, I'm lucky that we've been able to, to pluck out of the, the, the free agent world, you know, the, 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 a backup that's going to work for us. Um, and, but we're, again, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to, you know, live in the now, but we're also trying to plan, you know, what's going to happen two or three years down the road. And it's, to me, that's, that's another challenge altogether. Yeah, I got to ask the last one. Do you ever pick up some of the new gear? Like, do you ever grab a set of, you know, I know Tuca's more traditional, you know, Vaughn, mm-hmm. more flexible pad, but do you ever grab like Yaros, Bryans, or have you ever seen some of these guys that are coming in in the Bryans or in the Bowers and just be like, Oh, wow. it, it's amazing. It, 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 it's amazing you know, how much, how much lighter the gear is and how much more protective it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I have a, uh, a young 18 year old goaltender that's playing back in the Boston area. So, uh, I'm always, you know, looking to try to help him out in terms of, you know, what, what's going to make him a little faster, you know, what's going to get him from point A to point B a little quicker, what's, what's going to fill the net, you know, he's not, he's not going to be one of these goalies that's going to be 6'3 or 6'4, so we're always looking to try to give him a competitive edge too, so, uh, so I, I am trying to keep myself in tune to, you know, what these are, guys are wearing. I feel like this is a major omission on my part that I didn't realize you had a son that was playing the position. Was that was there ever pushback from dad in terms of don't be a goalie or? Well, I, I, again, he fell in the same category. I have, I have three boys, um, all played hockey. He, he was the youngest, so he clearly <laughs> had to play goal. It was, it's a pretty much a law in, <laughs> in our family, and, and he's followed suit. Um, well, and last one then. What 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 was that like? Like in terms of that relationship, you're a goalie coach in the National Hockey League. You had a great National Hockey League career. Do you give advice? Do you let him learn on his own? Do you? How do you find that balance as a dad who also has so much to give in that position, but also letting him find his own way? Well, qu- quite honestly, it, it, it's it's he's got a personality similar to my own, which is maybe good and bad. Um, you know, he, he does not let things stick to him, which maybe has allowed him to be a goaltender. Um, I always told him, like, when I got in the car uh, as a child after a game, I, I knew right away if I had a bad game because my parents didn't say boo to me. You know, they just like, let me be my own. And maybe that's what, you know, trying to help me get to where I needed to be. Um, I know for a fact he kind of wishes I was more like my dad and my mom in that regard because I can't help myself but, you know, offer little inputs here and there. Um, but again, we're in a world now where all he has to do is, you know, pop in some earbuds and off he goes into his own world, <laughs> you know? So he's very, he's, he's gotten good at, at tuning me out when he needs to tune me out and when he wants to listen, um, uh, and get my advice, you know, I'm there for that too. Oh, we've got, I was just going to say, we've got a lot of parents that listen to the podcast. We've had a lot of comments from parents that'll throw it in when they're driving to the rink with, with their, with sure. their son or daughter that, that that's a goalie. So 
I know they'll appreciate that advice. Bob, taking way more time than I said I would. <laughs> no Thank worries. you so much for taking the time to be oh, part of Oh, my pleasure, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, every goalie's giggling about uh, the story about Jason Arnott coming down the wall and firing the high high heaters and then going in goal saying, that, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah, it and does. Not cha- but not changing. But yeah, yeah, but not changing. Oh, well done. Uh, that's uh, that's a thrill for uh, uh, for me to listen to to goalie Bob and uh, and I was I was in Winnipeg in that in that era when he was a Vezina Trophy finalist. I remember that flip flopping with Beauregard too, and uh, that that was controversial uh, then. <laughs> Talked to Jet fans. That was Jet 1.0. Uh, that that's still controversial, and and what they did against the Vancouver Canucks. And that's uh, hey, and now it's they were just ahead of their time, right? This is we see this all the time yeah. now with with <laughs> you need two goaltenders thing. So hey, listen, actually, you're not the only one who was a big fan of Bob. Um, my wife's originally from Winnipeg. This might have been the first time she took any interest in my work. Oh well, yeah, she would she would be of the same age bracket. So you're right. He was I mean, he was a rock star, and when he got traded to Detroit, it was like. So I'm not the beginning of the end, but uh, they had a really good team at the time and kind of breaking it up then. I was like, wow. Uh, and then he, he went to the minors for a full year. Yeah, IHL, and, yeah. And, 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 and rebuilt The low it. minors, yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was the other part. Uh, you think he just uh, disappeared for a little bit, but after that Detroit experiment, uh, he came all the way back and, and spent significant time in the NHL and Edmonton, Vancouver in particular. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. But I think when he was here in Vancouver, the nickname wasn't Goalie Bob. It was Sideshow Bob. <laughs> really? Yeah. I as the, just as the, as the backup, he had this great personality. He was easy to approach. Yeah. It was it was a term of endearment for sure. Obviously, the Simpson reference, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, he's just like I said, just a great guy, and it was great to talk to him because he had a lot of really good things to say that I think, as you said, Darren, going in, a lot of goalies can appreciate whether you're modern or old school, um, and and the Tuka Rask thing. Right. Right. How many times have we seen it where he goes sort of the shin of the pad on the post rather than skate on post in RVH and and and, you know, hearing Bob talk about having other goalie coaches openly question it to him when he sees them in the summer and the explanation for it. And, you know, the only downside was I think I jinxed it because sure enough, and I've charted Tuka's goals for the playoff previews on NHL and I I can't remember that integration costing him he'd be become so good at it sure enough in that 9-3 game against the Canucks little low high play off the goal line and the quick shot on the glove side uh when he's got the shin on the post he can't quite get across and cover it off so I said to Bob in the press box I totally jinxed it we're talking about him not having any problems with that integration it might have been one of the rare occasions where you could argue or at least make the argument uh that he had a better chance to make that save if he skate on post but hearing Bob explain you know, just why and just how much wear and tear it saves on Tuca's body. Uh, that's something that I'm sure a lot of people have pointed out in Tuca's game, and there's a very good reason for it. And, uh, and a great uh, lesson about mentoring, the Mike Liute uh, sitting down with him and talking about, and Mike's family, about uh, the options uh, of college or, or major junior. So uh, that, was, uh, that was really cool. So from, uh, from Goalie Bob, Sideshow Bob, uh, we say goodbye to, uh, to Woody and Buzz. That's your new nickname, Pops. As I Buzz? try to look fine. Well, Buzz and Woody. Buzz Lightyear. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> Woody. I like it. Toy Story. I like it. That's what we do. I'd be happy to be Buzz. 
we're uh, <laughs> similar builds, uh, similar uh, technological abilities. Uh, Buzz, Buzz has all the toys, and then we do too uh, with uh, with Ingol. But uh, be like uh, Bob Asenza. Read Ingol. Subscribe to Ingol. Be part of the Ingol world, and you will not be left behind. You'll be on the cutting edge of, uh, of this great position and this great sport. Uh, thanks to Bob Asenza. Thanks to Cam Matwiv. And thanks to you for continuing to listen. And we'll chat with you next week on Ingold Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports in Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. <laughs>